emptiness to fullness? How do we go from robbed hope to realized hope? That's really the flow of what's going on here in the book of Ruth. So turn there with me. Tonight we're in Ruth chapter 3. Move from emptiness to fullness. Because here in chapter 1, the hope of Naomi was robbed. She was empty. She went away from Bethlehem with her husband and her two sons and came back to Bethlehem after being in Moab for a while with no husband and no sons because they had died and only a daughter-in-law. And now with all seeming hope gone, uh, she comes back to Bethlehem and doesn't even want to be called by her original name, which is lovely. She wants to now be called Bitter. Mara, because that seems to be more fitting of her circumstances. Well, in chapter 2, as we saw last time, that hope that seemed to be robbed and gone was now aroused because Ruth found favor in one of Naomi's closest relatives. And, and yet, we haven't reached the end. We haven't really reached the climax yet of this narrative because there are still two huge questions that have to be answered. First, how will Naomi's husband Elimelech, how will his name be carried on when he and his sons are dead? So how will his name be carried on? The second question is, how will the possessions that were left to Naomi be protected? How will his name be carried on if he doesn't have an heir? And how will his possessions be protected? And we know the rest of the story, so it's easier for us to kind of fill in the blank to that answer. But, but really, if Ruth and Boaz marry and have a son, then both of these questions will be answered. Elimelech's name will be carried on and the, the possessions will be protected. So let's read our text tonight. I'll read. You follow along in your Bible, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is the Word of God. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be that when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. And he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, 
And when morning comes, if He will redeem you, good. Let Him redeem you. But if He does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you, as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at His feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, He said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it. And He measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. God here is still working. He's working in a providential way through an ordinary and weak person like Ruth in order to accomplish what He wants through someone who will trust Him. This is how God often works. God doesn't always work through those who trust Him. God can work when people don't trust Him. Uh, We saw that uh, many of those examples in the book of Genesis. But here, He actually works through someone who will trust Him. Someone who doesn't have a whole lot of clout or status like Naomi, like Ruth, and God still works through them. That I think, I think, uh, that I think is probably the main theme that runs throughout this entire book of Ruth. That is that God delivers ordinary and weak people who are willing to trust Him. And that should be hope for us because we find ourselves in that place often. God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise and, and God chose us, and we're happy to be used by Him. There are several things we need to see in this passage. First, the clever plan of Naomi, verses 1-5. through five, The clever plan of Naomi. Naomi had a specific motivation. She wanted to do something. Look at verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? Naomi was seeking a permanent home for Ruth. And so she takes on this clever, and I would even say daring act to say, hey, you need to go and take the initiative with Boaz. And what we learn from this is that clever and daring acts don't happen by people who are satisfied with mediocrity. Naomi has a desire to see God work in a powerful way, and so she takes a step, a risk, and makes a choice that may work out or it may not. It's a risk. She takes the initiative by, by giving Ruth this idea. Notice specifically what Naomi was desiring here. It says, Shall I not seek security? Or if you look in the margin of your Bible, uh, the other option is the word rest. Shall I not seek security or rest for you? Naomi wanted to see Ruth cared for. This was part of now her responsibility. When she came back to Bethlehem, She was expecting just to have to care for herself, but Ruth, prior to her leaving for Bethlehem, said, no, I'm going to stay with you until death parts us because I love you that much. I'm going to be that loyal to you. Uh, Your God is going to be my God. Ruth was a believer and she wanted to to show her loyalty even to her mother-in-law who had lost practically everything. So So Naomi, in return, wants to care for Ruth. She wants to make sure that Ruth is provided for Now, keep in mind that Naomi had prayed for Ruth. Turn back to chapter 1. Let me show you. Naomi had prayed for Ruth and Orpah 
prior to Naomi's departure from Moab. Chapter 1, verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughter, daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. And here's the prayer. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find... Notice that word there. Rest. That's the same word in chapter 3, verse 1. May you find rest. So, he's not saying, I really wish something good happens to you. She's actually making a prayer wish here. She's saying, God, may you bless these two young women by giving them rest. Now turn back to chapter 3. Because here, Naomi's not just making a prayer in chapter 1. I hope everything works out for you. But here, now that she has an opportunity to act on behalf of Ruth, she says, it's, not, it's, it's, it's more than the prayer. She's actually here putting feet to her prayer. She's acting in such a way that where Naomi is going to serve as the answer to her own prayer. God, will you provide Ruth's rest? And now Naomi's saying, here's the way that's going to happen. I'm going to initiate a relationship between you, Ruth, and Boaz, and that's how you're going to find your rest. Robert Hubbard, a scholar who wrote a commentary for Ruth, said, said it this way, Believers are not to wait passively for events to happen. Rather, they must seize the initiative when an opportunity presents itself. That's what Naomi's doing here. How do we know when an opportunity presents itself? How do we know when we ought to take a risk for the sake of God's purposes? How do we know when we ought to step out and do something that may feel uncomfortable? Well, look at how Naomi uh, how Naomi works here in verse 2. This is how she's thinking. She says, Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. So two things. Here's, here's how she knew that she had an open door and eventually she's going to find out this is actually an open door from God. See, initially, it's a risk because we don't know do we? When we take that job or when we choose to marry that person, we don't know if it's God's will until it happens. And I think that's the same thing that's going on here. How does, how does Naomi know whether God wants Boaz to be the one to provide for their family, the one to carry on Elimelech's name, the one to protect their possession? Well, she sees two things, two opportunities that came up. One, Boaz is a close relative. This looks like an open door. Boaz could be our kinsman redeemer. Two, Boaz is currently at the threshing floor of the very place that you just went yesterday, right? You, you have been there already. Let me just explain to you what's going on here at the threshing floor. Um, perhaps you're familiar with how this works when grain is harvested, but when the barley was harvested, the harvesters would thresh the grain in order to separate the grain from the stalks. And then the grain would be tossed in the air so that the chaff would be carried away by the wind. But the harvesters, after doing all this work, they would have a pile of grain. What do you do with the pile of grain? You can't just leave it there overnight unguarded uh, because it's susceptible to be stolen by thieves or eaten by animals. And so they would set up guards, people who would just stay the night with the grain until they could bag it up or whatever the case, sack it up and, and then sell it or use it. And so, apparently, 
Boaz decides to be part of this group of night watchmen. He's probably not the only one who's staying near this pile of grain, but he's probably at least one of them. Even as the owner of the field, he wants to make sure that this is being protected. So Naomi says, here's, here's a potential open door from God. Is this, is this God working? He's our kinsman redeemer, and he's currently at the threshing floor. So here's the, the clever plan in verses 3 and 4. Here's the clever plan. Ruth was to make herself ready to see Boaz by washing and putting on her best clothes in the first part of verse 3. And the point of all this is so that Boaz would know that Ruth was not a grieving widow anymore. Remember, she had come back from Moab as a widow. Her husband, uh, Malon, had died. And maybe Boaz, you know, guys don't tend to be that perceptive. And he didn't know. She was eligible, an eligible bachelor, bachelorette. And so if she puts on her best clothes and smells the best for him, then he would know that, that she was eligible. The mourning for her husband is over. Now she's eligible to become someone's wife. Now the key to this clever plan is found at the end of verse 3. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So in other words, go in secret. Don't make yourself, don't let him know that you're there during dinner time and, and um, during the evening when he's sitting around with the other watchmen. Instead, go in secrecy. And this was important because this would give Boaz an opportunity to take the initiative. Now, this sounds kind of strange that Ruth is taking the initiative, but she's doing it in such a way so that Boaz can take the initiative. But that's exactly what's happening. She wants to put Boaz in a place where he first understands that he can marry Ruth and be the kinsman redeemer for her family. But also that that um, he, he wants... She also, Naomi's thinking this through, wants to put Ruth in a place and Boaz in a place where he can easily turn her down without a whole lot of embarrassment. You know, if you do it in the cloak of night and no one else has to know about it besides Ruth and Boaz. But if you do it in day, daylight, everybody's around listening in. It's like the guy who proposes at a baseball game and the, the girl's like, I don't think so. Okay, it's hard for her to turn someone down in that big of a crowd, but she can do it. And she's, she's pretty serious that he's not the guy. So, so that's what I think Naomi has in mind here. We want to try to reduce the embarrassment level. Of, if he thinks this is not a good idea, we'll know it's not of God. We'll know it's not God's leading. It's not an open door from God. In fact, God's closing the door. And so the, the method is to go to him after he's lying, he, he's, uh, he's, uh, Lay down for the night after he's laying, laying down. Okay, he, she uncovers his feet and lies at the foot of his blanket. Apparently, now why not just hide somewhere and then come up and tap him on the shoulder while he's sleeping? I don't know. I'm not sure what what all this is going on, but apparently it was for the sake of him being startled in the middle of the night so they could have their conversation after everyone's uh, fast asleep. But by appearing in, in darkness and being dressed in her best clothes, she's making a statement to Boaz. Boaz, I am eligible to be married 
and and you now, Boaz, are in a position to be God's method of refuge for our family. So, what I want you to notice here is in the text, verses 3 and 4, Ruth is taking the initiative, but she's doing it in such a way so that he can respond. Look at verse uh, 4. It shall be that when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go, and you shall uncover his feet, and you shall lie down. So those are all her actions. Notice his actions. And then he will tell you what to do. He'll say, no, this is not going to work. I can't, I can't afford it. You know, I can't afford to care for Naomi and you with just this little possession that Elimelech had left over. I can't do it. Or he'll say, I'm going to make it happen. We all know how it turns out. But, but the genius of this plan is that it's done in secrecy so that it would not have to be public and so that he could easily turn her down while at the same time recognizing that he had an opportunity to marry her. So Ruth agrees to Naomi's plan, her clever plan in verse 5. She plans to do everything that Naomi says. We need to think about this because the question that can come up is, will Naomi's human plan align with God's plan? Or will it be in opposition to God's plan? That's a good question to ask. Did Naomi or Ruth know how this was going to turn out before it happened? They get any special revelation from God that said, hey, Boaz is going to be the man. They had no idea, did they? They were simply had to make a choice. They had to operate in faith. And, and friends, this is a good way to, to seek for the will of God. You don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't know if that next choice is part of what God wants you to do or if it's not. And the truth is that they would not know until they executed their plans. That's part of seeking God's will. We can't know everything, every step that He's going to lead us. We can plan, but ultimately it's the Lord who directs our steps. So the clever plan of Naomi. Second, we see the daring act of Ruth. Verses 6 and 7, the daring act of Ruth. She went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, again, we, we don't understand all this uncovering the feet, and I've read several commentaries on this. Didn't fully, I mean, there was no really excellent explanation of what was going on. But, but if you think there was something immoral going on, let me just try to dispel that idea. Look at verse 11, because I think the text is clear that there's nothing immoral going on. Verse 11. This is Boaz. He says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of what? Excellence. That word, or that phrase, woman of excellence, is the same phrase that's used in Proverbs 31, 10, which is the woman of excellence who can find, or the excellent wife who can find. That's the same phrase. Okay, That's what Boaz is calling Ruth here. There's nothing immoral going on here. Okay, She's... She's completely being above board. She's simply using this as a way to approach him in a way that would be unembarrassing for him and then also for him to understand what was going on. So we see the clever plan of Naomi, the daring act of Ruth, and then 
verses 8 to 18, the kind response of Boaz. The kind response of Boaz. His first response is, is shown for us there in verse 8, and it's a response of surprise. I love how the text is written here because it helps us to, to um, kind of feel the sensation that he has as he, he's experiencing it. Verse 8, it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. So just imagine yourself in this position as someone's lying at your feet, taking off your blanket, and what? somebody's here. Notice how the text reads. It's like, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Completely unexpected. Ruth identifies herself in verse 9. And here, notice how she refers to herself when he says, Who are you? She says, I am Ruth, your maid. In chapter 2, verse 13, she called herself less than a maidservant. Why would you ever do anything kind for me, Boaz, when I'm less than a maidservant? Here, she says, I am your maid. I think she's pointing to the idea that I'm available. I'm not Malon's widow. Okay, She is, but... But now I'm an eligible bachelorette. You're, you're able to propose to me if you wish. And in case Boaz doesn't get it, again, guys are not very perceptive. In case she doesn't get it, he doesn't get it, then Ruth wants to make it explicit. That was, that's what she does at the end of verse 9. She says, So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. The phrase there, spread your covering or spread your cloak over me, is a phrase that could also be translated as spread your wings or spread your wing over me. Okay, picture the hen with its uh, chicks. Spread your wing over me. And in making this statement, she's alluding to a, a previous encounter. She's basically saying, Boaz, do you remember the first time we met? Well, well, sure I do. I remember it was just like yesterday, right? It was yesterday, actually. Okay, good. Do you remember the first time we met? Do you remember the prayer that you prayed for me, Boaz? Do you remember it? Well, let's look at it. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Here's the prayer that he prays for Ruth. He had heard about her good work that that she had done for her mother-in-law. And here's how Boaz prays for Ruth. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose cloak, wings, that's the same word, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Do you remember, do you, do you remember that prayer Ruth is saying here in chapter 3? You prayed that I would find refuge under God's wings and I'm here tonight so that God would spread His wings over me through your wings. So you spread your wing over me. That's how God's going to spread His wing over me. Commit yourself to me, Boaz. I don't know how else to say this, okay? But will you propose to me? That's essentially what she's saying. My mother-in-law and I have thought through this, and it looks like God is leading you to protect our family, our heritage, our possessions. Now, the reason that she has to be so forward, okay, because this may seem um, a little bit out of place for our culture, for a woman to be so forward. Maybe it's more and more normal in our culture. I'm not sure. But but the reason that, that I think she had to be so forward is because we need to recognize that Boaz was probably a whole generation older than Ruth. 
probably closer to the age of Naomi than she was to Ruth. Let me show you why I think that. Look at chapter... Let's see. Is this, let's look at chapter 2, verse 8 to start with. Boaz says to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Okay, you don't call someone. They, they wouldn't in those days either. Call someone uh, their daughter if they were around the same age as them. Okay? And to, just to show you that, just to prove that to you, notice what Naomi calls Ruth in verse 1 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? So you see, Naomi is clearly a generation older than her. Okay, um, Very likely the age of potentially Ruth's mom. And she's saying, My daughter. And now Boaz is saying the same thing. He says, Who are you? in verse 9. And then in verse 10 he says, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. And so, for Boaz to propose to a woman who was 20, 30 years younger than him, it would have been completely forward and I think even uncommon for a man of that day to propose marriage to a young girl like Ruth. And so I think that Ruth recognizes and Naomi recognizes and Boaz starting to recognize that, that she is the one who's going to have to take the initiative. That's why I think it's proper in this case. It's not that Boaz is being weak or passive in his male leadership, okay? Simply that he doesn't understand that she's actually in a position to be married by him, someone who's so much older than he is. She's simply cluing him into the fact that she's eligible. Now, in order to be clear, I need to I need to mention that there's no indication that Boaz actually spread his cloak, his wing, over her at this time. He's going to make up a, a commitment to her. Here, we'll see that in just a second. He's going to make a commitment to her, but but he hasn't actually protected her. He can't promise to do that yet until he finds out from this closer relative. We'll look at that here in just a second. So first, it's a response of surprise by Boaz. Secondly. It's a response of blessing and favor, verses 10 to 13. In verse 10, Boaz prays for Ruth. The last part of verse 10, Boaz commends Ruth for her character. You are a woman of excellence. He already knew about her first kind act, which was to take care of Naomi until death parted them. But Boaz is saying, what you're doing now is even kinder. It's even a better act. Look at the last part of verse 10. You have shown your last kindness that's the one you've just done, to be better than the first kindness. The first kindness is caring for Naomi. Your last kindness, the most recent one, of you putting yourself in a place where you could be married by someone who's much older than you, when you could have done something else, this is even a better act because you're actually putting, um, you're putting into view the concerns of Naomi. You're, you're actually following through on what you promised to Naomi. And the truth is, is that Boaz recognizes that Ruth could have pursued younger men. Look at verse 10 at the end of the verse. You've shown your last kindness to be better than the first. Why? Or how? By not going after young men. Well, you could have, if you wanted to get married, just to get married, you could have gone after anybody. 
Notice the reasons to go after them, whether rich or, or the type of people, whether poor or rich. So why would you marry a poor per- person? For love. Okay? A rich person, marry for money. Could do rich person both love and money. But, but that's his point. You could have married, Ruth. You could have done it for love or money. And yet you didn't do either. You could have done someone who's much younger than I. And yet you're, you're putting yourself out in a place where you could be married by me. If Ruth married any random Jewish man, what we need to recognize is that Elimelech would not have had a rightful heir. And Ruth's husband would not have to obligate himself to Naomi. That's why it's so important that she marries a kinsman redeemer. She marries someone who's a close relative of Elimelech, so he would have to obligate himself to care for Naomi and her possessions. That's why he's saying this act of kindness is even better than what you did before. You're so concerned not about yourself. Wouldn't it be better for you, Ruth, to marry someone young who's more lovely than I and maybe has more money and more potential? But you chose me for the sake of your mother-in-law. This is what's so amazing about you, Ruth. She's got him hooked. Ruth chose Boaz for the sake of Naomi, and Boaz loved it. And so, verses 11 to 13, he gives her a promise ring. Okay? Not, not really, but that in our terms, it's what's going on here in verses 11 to 13. He's so compelled by this young woman's loyal devotion to her mother-in-law that he says, I will marry you, if possible. If I can convince this other closer Redeemer to pass on his first rights, opportunity to to marry you, then I'm going to do it. So here's your promise ring. Now before he commits, notice what he does here in verse 11. He says, Now my daughter, do not fear. He wants to calm her fears. Think about it from her perspective. She's taking a big risk here because he has all sorts of excuses that he could use to say, sorry, not going to do this. Okay. First of all, I'm not the closest redeemer, so I don't have to do this. And secondly, you're a Moabite. I'm planning to marry a Jew. I have too much to lose here. That's not Boaz. He says, "Don't fear. Put aside all those objections that you haven't that you think that I'm going to use against you and recognize that I am here to care for you if possible, if the Lord allows it." And so he finishes verse 11 by saying, I will do whatever you ask and commends her for her character and her selfless love that she had shown to Naomi. This could be the happy ending that they were hoping for, but there's one unexpected obstacle that apparently Ruth is not privy to until this point, verse 12. Now, it's true that I am a close relative and we can say, and it's true that I will marry you if possible, but you need to know Ruth, that there's someone closer than I. And he actually has the right to redeem you first. So here's the obstacle that has to be removed. Now, very likely, Boaz and this other closer redeemer who we don't know, very likely they're not brothers to Elimelech because they're they're learning things. Very likely, if they were brothers, they would already know about this. They'd probably be jumping in here to take care of the problem. Very likely, they're cousins of Elimelech. And the point I think that the author is is driving towards here is that 
It's out of Ruth's hands at this time. It's out of Boaz's hands at this time. Whose hands is it in now? It's in the hands of God. Naomi's done what she should do. She's prayed for protection. She's offered a clever plan of protection. Ruth's done what she should have done, which is this daring act of of going before Boaz and proposing marriage effectively to him. And Boaz has now done what he could do. But now it's in the hands of God. What will God do? The third response is one of abundance and return. Again, he wants Ruth to be provided for as he prayed for in chapter 2. And now he follows through on that again by abundantly providing for her. He sends her away in secret, verses 14, verse 14. He doesn't want anyone to have the wrong impression. You know, if someone thinks something immoral has gone on between Ruth and Boaz during the night, then it would lead to all sorts of speculation and potentially make its way to the first Redeemer who could say, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking her to be my wife. It, it could just taint all of that. So Boaz doesn't want to alarm anyone, which is why, again, this plan is so clever to do in secret to start with. Verse 15, Boaz abundantly provides for her six measures. The text says six measures of barley. So it could be either ephahs or sias of barley. An ephah, if it were six ephahs of barley, it would be about 200 pounds. And the text tells us that he put it on her back. Very, Not very likely, unless she was a pretty burly uh, woman. Uh, more likely it's six sias of barley rather than ephahs, which would be about 80 pounds of barley, showing that, hey, you know, God is providing for you. And also, when you get back to Naomi, let her know that I'm serious about this. This would send a great message about his good intentions. Well, Ruth heads back for home in verses 16 and 17. And the same question that Boaz asks in verse 9, Who are you? Startled. There's a woman at my feet. Who are you? Naomi asks the same question. Who are you? Now, is it because she doesn't know who's coming? Most likely, it is that she's asking a specific question. Let's look at the text and see if we can make sense of it. Um, verse 16. When she came to her mother-in-law, he said, literally, or she said, literally, Who are you, my daughter? Now, we have it translated, How did it go, my daughter? And that's because our translators understand that something else is going on here. Very likely... Naomi knows who this is that's coming back and, and she's asking a question. Who are you, Ruth? Are you still Malon's widow? Or are you Boaz's fiance? What is your identity now? Now that you've come back, Caesar's this great load of grain, who are you? And Ruth gives Naomi the barley and that tells Naomi that she has been given the promise ring effectively. And notice how Naomi concludes here in verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. So, in other words, wait here. Let's wait to see what happens because Boaz, he's serious about, about this. Because when morning comes, remember what he said? If morning, when morning comes, if he, the closer relative, will redeem you, then good. But if not, I will redeem you. So Naomi says, listen, he's going to follow through on that. So let's just wait and find out what happens. Ultimately, it's going to be up to God to determine the outcome. Two principles or uh, applications that we can learn from this text. Number one, God works through human initiative. God works through human initiative. 
We can learn a lot from Naomi and Ruth as to how they pursue God's will. When you see an opportunity, an open door, why not assume that God is giving, giving it to you and take initiative, take the next step, take the risk of looking awkward or, or a failure. Take that risk and see if God is in it. Now, obviously, this requires that we stay within the boundaries of God's commands for us, right? So a married guy who sees an open door to have an immoral relationship with another woman other than his wife, right? That's not God leading because actually that could happen. It could be an open door from our perspective. The guy could go have an immoral relationship and say, hey, God was leading me apparently because it, it worked out for me, right? He didn't break down my car on the way to the woman's house. So apparently I need to divorce my wife and this is now my soulmate. Okay, that's not God leading. So what I'm saying is stay within the bounds of what you know is God's will, right? First Thessalonians 4, it is God's will for you, your uh, purity, your purification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we know that that's not God leading. So stay within the boundaries of what you know is God's will. So I would think of it like a soccer game. Okay, stay within the bounds that are allowed for playing soccer. Right? Stay within the boundaries and within inside the rules of what, are, what is allowed. How do we know what the boundaries are? How do we know what the rules are? There we go. Okay. Now, once you're inside the boundaries, you're on the soccer field, and you're inside the rules, you see an opening, go for the goal. Go score. Score the winning goal. Take that opportunity. Assume that God is leading you in that way and empowering you to succeed. Too many times as Christians, we become passive in the Christian life and expect that the soccer ball will magically make its way to the goal while we're picking clovers at midfield. Right? We're just sitting down, picking clovers and saying, why can't we score a goal here, God? When are you going to open a door? What do you think God's saying? You know, I've given you everything that you need to score a goal. You have legs. You've been trained. You have teammates that are passing you the ball. And yet you have not taken the open doors that I've given to you. See, that's how we pursue God's will. We don't sit around passively waiting for things to happen. As believers, we of all people ought to be proactive and risk takers for the sake of God's glory. Within the boundaries of what He told us to do, within the rules, and we just go for the goal. Take initiative when the opportunity presents itself and see if God is in it. Number two, application number two, God works through human ingenuity. This, I think, is one of the more amazing principles that we learn from this text. That God works through human ingenuity. Many times, amazingly, God answers prayer and the answer to our prayers is His working through your working. In other words, your work is often the answer to your own prayers. 
That's what's happening here in chapter 3 of Ruth. Think about it this way. Let me give you an example. God, please deliver me from this temptation. How do you think God answers that for you? Deliver me from this temptation. I can tell you how He doesn't answer this for you. Okay, He doesn't lift you up physically. You are in a position of temptation. Do whatever temptation that, that, that plagues you. He doesn't pick you up physically, remove you to a different place and say, temptation's no more. You're all set. He doesn't often work in this way where He brings a catastrophe. Now, He could do that, right? Looking at pornography on the Internet and somehow the power goes out. God could do that, yes, but He often doesn't work that way. Instead, okay, like on the soccer field, He doesn't lift you up and put you right next to the goal with the ball on your foot. He gives you all the tools that you need and the strength that you need from the Spirit. You know what God's doing? He's on the sideline waiting for you to act. You going to follow through with all this training that I've given to you? Are you going to use the means that I've given to you in order to avoid this temptation that you're praying about? God, remove me from this temptation. You know what God's saying? I've given you the tools. I'm giving you the tools now. I'm responding to your prayer through your work. The question might come, then why do we need God? Right? I'm doing the work. I'm answering. I'm the answer to my own prayers. Why do we need God? God gets all the credit somehow in all this. Well, the answer is we need God because any act of goodness, any step toward the goal of scoring that goal, any act of righteousness or truth is only done when God first initiates it in you. You may feel like, hey, I'm the one doing all the work here. God's not. Hey, I just used him sitting on the sideline as if he's doing nothing. But, but actually, God is working through you to accomplish exactly what he wants. We can only do it with the strength that he supplies. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. The other objection that we might have is that God never acts apart from my work. Okay, so the only way anything's going to get done is if I act. Well, that's also not true. Okay, God often works by way of direct intervention or through the ordinary acts of saved sinners, or through other believers, and not necessarily through ourselves. So that's not the only way that God's going to answer your prayer. But here's a primary way. Here's one of the best ways that God's work that God works. He answers your prayer through your work. Naomi's actions serve as the answer to her own prayers. Would you please provide for Ruth a place of rest? Now, Ruth, got a plan for you. Go to Boaz so that he can be your rest. And Boaz' actions serve as the answer to his own prayer. Right? May God provide His wing to place over you, Ruth. And Ruth comes and says, God's answering your prayer, Boaz. And you're the wing that He's going to use to put over me. God answers prayers through the works of often the people that are asking for the request. So, Christian, stop picking clovers at midfield and go up and start playing the ball game. 
take initiative. You see an open door? Then make clever plans to advance God's work. Don't wait for someone else to take initiative. Pray for God's help and move toward the opening and see if God's in it. We don't know if God is leading until we see the outcome. Does God plan to save your family member or coworker? I don't know. And you don't know. And you know, Ruth and Naomi didn't know how it would turn out with Boaz. But they made some plans, and they executed those plans, and then they saw if God was in it or not. Start making plans now to take the gospel to your family member or to your coworker. Look for opportunities to talk to them and see what God will do. And it's amazing what happens when we start to work and pray and see God work through us. Let's pray. Lord, please help us not to be passive Christians, to wait around for You to take um, take the lead or to somehow force us into service of You. Help us to be risk-takers and people who take initiative for the sake of Your glory. Help us to stay within the boundaries of what You've told us to do within the rule book. And then look for open doors and take them. It's amazing how, how many opportunities we have when we are looking for them. Whether it be in seeking Your will or sharing the Gospel or serving within the church, serving our family. Lord, give us the opportunities. Help us to see them clearly and know that You are behind them all. Thank You for this clear um, example of Ruth and Naomi. May You strengthen us and encourage us, challenge us through it. In Jesus' name, Amen.